Hey friends, and welcome to the Moving Mountains podcast. Moving Mountains is a place to hear true stories of modern day miracles told by ordinary people just like you and me. My name is Paige, and I'm joined here in Alaska by my dear friends, Margaret and Bernadette, as we witness accounts of how God has worked in people's lives in big and small ways. As you listen to these stories of hope, answered prayers, and unexplained phenomena, we invite you to allow this space to inspire your faith and even to help you recognize the ways in which God is moving mountains in your own life. Welcome back, everyone, to Moving Mountains podcast. This is Margaret, and we're excited to be back, actually, after a few-week break uh, from recording because some people, not including me, (laughs) left the country and the state of Alaska to go on some really fun adventures. So <laughs> this is actually our first time touching base in, gosh, three weeks on our podcast or so. Yeah. So I actually yeah. wanted to just have Paige and Bernadette share a little bit about their adventures. I, maybe we should end with Rome. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we'll start with Bernadette, who just got back from Hawaii, and we want to hear, I don't know, two or three highlights from your... Um, I will say my three highlights were sunshine 85 to 90 degrees and ocean <laughs> and you came back to what kind of way we cross-country skied today <laughs> oh so yeah it was just amazing and beautiful um we had like two almost 40 day stretches of rain for our alaskan summer this year and anybody who knows me knows i really really dislike the cold and the hardest part about living in Alaska for me is that we don't really ever get a real summer, but this year was different. It was like literally no real summer. Um, Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I was just in bed sick with pregnancy when we did have some nice weather in May and June. So anyway, Kyle wanted to treat me to some sunshine and warmth. And we went to Mm -hmm. Maui for 10 days and met up with some of our friends who um, the, the woman is pregnant with, a little baby girl and they're 23 weeks along and this is their first successful pregnancy after five miscarriages. So just like very dear friends. And it was just amazing to spend time with them as well. So that, that actually was like the highlight of the trip, getting to see her pregnant and celebrate with them. So, well, I'm sorry you had to leave the sunshine, but we're (laughs) glad you're back. I'm glad you're back. I'm happy to be back too. And I am really enjoying the beautiful winter wonderland. So that's a blessing. (laughs) And Paige, uh, your trip was a little bit more glamorous than mine, heading over all the way to Italy. And then, of course, now you're you're still out of state. But, yeah, what were some highlights mm-hmm. from your trip to Rome and, and whereabouts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we got to fly to Texas first to drop the boys off. Um, and then with our family. <laughs> um, and then... Christiana, myself, and two of our good friends from Alaska flew to Rome for two whole weeks. Um, and honestly, maybe this is a hot take, but I was not impressed with Rome. <laughs> um, I think that it was an amazing experience as a Catholic to go visit, you know, the Vatican. Um, to see the Pope in person was really cool. Um, and to just see all of the beautiful churches. I was telling one of our friends, I was like, every church has like six side chapels 
And like one yeah. of those side chapels puts like all the churches in America to shame. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just as far as like beauty goes, which I mean, I know there are you so many beautiful in churches like, in America. Oh, it's a Bernini sculpture. And then there's a Caravaggio yeah. in the next church. Oh, and then there's an incorrupt stain. That's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, the remains of like three Pope Leos are here. Wow. <laughs> Pretty cool. Um, so that was really amazing. Um, one of my biggest highlights was we, Christiana and I walked an hour. I don't even know in what direction. Um, but our good friend, Father Whitney, uh, so Christiana and I are cooperators with Opus Day. Um, which was founded by St. Jose Maria Scriva. And so our good friend, Father Whitney, he told us that we could go visit St. Jose Maria Scriva's tomb, which is in a random church that's basically underground. Um, and you would have no idea that there was a church right there. Like you have to like be buzzed into a door. And so we went there and it just felt like I was like a part of this cool secret club. And <laughs> we got to go pray at the tomb of St. Jose Maria Scriva, who's just been one of my spiritual fathers since college. Um, and then all of a sudden, like the bell rings and mass begins and like, we're celebrating mass, like on top of his tomb. And wow. it was just insane. Um, and very surreal because there's so like, like you're saying, there's so many saints that every church you walk into, it's like, these are the remains of this saint. But a lot of those saints, I don't know their stories and I don't know their life. And so it's like, wow, like every time I knelt down, I was like, hi, I don't know you, but um, yeah. like, please pray for me. Um, but with St. Jose Maria, it was like, oh my gosh, like, I just, I know your life and I know who you are and you have helped me so much in my spiritual journey. So that was a huge highlight and probably like one of my biggest of the trip. Um, oh, and Assisi. Assisi was just amazing too. Um, but yeah, unfortunately towards the last leg of our trip is when I started to get first trimester symptoms kicking in. So I kind of just like stayed inside the last five days of our trip. So I was kind of ready to go home after that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now, yeah, now we're in Texas and we're back with the boys and it's good. It's hot here, which I'm not a fan of. I kind of wish I was in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking but, about that when I was shoveling today, Paige. I was like, I bet she's, that she's not here right now. <laughs> Um, but it's really good to be with family and we are here for two more months, which is crazy. Um, but really exciting that we'll get to just be here for all of the holidays and only have like three months of snow when we go back to Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really Instead of six months of snow. Leap into it for the first time. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing, Paige. It's so good to have you girls well back and sort of back. I mean, you're stateside, Paige, but I'm glad <laughs> yeah. you get to be with your family. Um so today we have a very special guest. Joe, say hello. Hello. Good job. Follow the instruction very well. Joe Rutz. Um, so I met Joe five years ago. I moved to Alaska almost exactly five years ago. And he's one of the first people I met. So I've literally known you pretty much since I got here. And we were actually chatting the other night at sushi and I was saying, telling Joe my first memory of him. He was basically doing the running man outside in the parking lot. And we Neither of us have any idea why, but I had my first response to that was this guy's funny and Joe is very funny. So no pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, set me up for, uh... <laughs> but no, we're, he has a great mission that he has um, started that he's going to share with us tonight. 
And he has, so he has a little bit of background on that. And then he's going to share um, some stories from, from the streets and you'll understand that in a little bit. However, before we move on to your testimony and stories, we have a very important question. Are you guys ready? Yes. Mm -hmm. Morning person or night person? Bernadette? Oh, I'm starting this time. I'm a wannabe morning person and born a night person. <laughs> definitely. Wait, like, say that again. You're a wannabe morning person, <laughs> but definitely night person. Oh, definitely. I just have a lot of trouble falling asleep. So mm -hmm. like I consistently try to go to bed early and then I just like lay there thinking about things and da da da, you know, like I just, my whole family has always gone to bed really late. So maybe that's what it's from, but I'm definitely the kind of person who could easily just stay up till like midnight every night and just sleep in till 7.38 and that would be great. But right now I'm actually like going to bed more like 10, 10.30 every night and, you know, waking up earlier, just having kids. So anyway, I guess I'm like more of a morning person now, but I just really wish it was more natural to me. <laughs> Amen to that. There's my long mm. answer. Amen. <laughs> what about you, Joe? This has actually been a bit of a journey recently. Um, so, and your story is me about Bernadette. I am definitely born a night person for sure. Uh, and I will do the same thing. Like I'll go to bed and I'll just stare at the ceiling till like two, three, four in the morning, yeah, like no. running through, like I'll tell Amelia a lot of, she's like, Oh, you were up late again last night. Like what was going on? I was like, Oh, I got into an apology, like an apologetics argument in my head with some guy from work. It's never going to actually happen. Like, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And I thought how I'd respond if he said this and then what he might say. And then what I would say back. I and completely then, relate. to uh, And then if it's ever like I've read a good book or anything, it's like, Oh, apparently I'm going to process this now from yes. 1 30 AM to 4 30 AM. Oh and this is going to be the height of my intellectual capacity right now. And the entire time just watching. Yeah. the clock tick down to like oh gotta wake up in three hours that's the whole great. the whole concept of like wind down reading really just means wind up to thinking about it for four hours exactly right? yeah and so like that's the thing like i went to the doctor recently because i was like please help me i recently got married and she's a morning person please <laughs> and i'm about to have and i'm about to have my first child please help me sleep and she was like oh well like have you tried reading before bed i'm like yes it's worse it makes it worse so uh, I'm a night person and I'm hopefully going to convert to a morning person, slowly losing hope as I shovel like strawberry melatonin gummies down my face and nothing <laughs> happens. Hey, but... believe me, newborns have a knack for making you more tired than you've ever mm, experienced in your life before. So it might help. That's what I'm hoping. That's, so we, we're actually thinking we might name our baby girl melatonin. Uh, <laughs> Raspberry melatonin? Strawberry. Strawberry melatonin. <laughs> So, Call her Mel for short. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, oh, two two night people. What about you, Paige? Um. Okay. So definitely, I was a night person. Like, stay up till two a.m. kind of person. Sleep till like nine a.m. Um, and then, and then I had a baby who at Santiago uh, took after his father and was an early bird and wanted to wake up at 5 a.m. for his entire life, um, which then meant I had to wake up at 5 a.m. for his entire life. Um, so now I'm a morning person because I have to be. And actually- Oh, this gives me such hope, Paige. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like, actually I still go to bed around like 
10 p.m. So it's not like I'm going to bed super early, but I'm definitely not going to bed as late as I used to. But it's funny because when I got married to Christian, he was early morning and I was like late night. Um, and yeah, now I'm just so used to waking up at 5 a.m. that it's not even hard for me. Like my body just wakes up around 5 a.m. Um, so I guess I'm a morning person. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a lot of <laughs> If everyone could see his face <laughs> so right <far>. now. <laughs> A miracle is happening. Though, yes. <laughs> though, don't talk to me before my coffee. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Margaret? Therefore, I am the only born morning person in the group, which is weird. I'm not surprised, but, Margaret. Yeah. I, I kind of joke that I live like an old lady. I like my afternoon naps. I like to wind down the seven o'clock hour. I'm usually in bed by nine. If it's 9.30, oh, it's getting late. It's getting late. And I've always been this way as long as I can remember is early to bed. And now I don't want to, hmm, I need to clarify. I don't love getting up early or before my body wants to get up, but I'm way more productive mm. in the morning. I'd rather get up and get going. And I'm going to be a lot more productive if my day starts early. So if I can get, get over that hump of tiredness and get out of bed, yes, I'm through and through a morning person, just like my dad. He'd be whistling in the kitchen. And, you know, <laughs> I'm not a whistler in the morning, but. I am pretty happy and some people get annoyed with that. So sorry. Well, that's sorry. awesome. I think it's great to be a morning person. So good for you. Well, thank you. That's thank insane you. to me. At like 1030 o'clock at night is when I'm like, let's go fix the gutters. Yeah. Like, <laughs> to wake up refreshed and ready to go is yeah. such a force. And I want to do that at like 7 a.m. <laughs> and that's the okay, but <laughs> Margaret. In the summer in Alaska, has that affected you any differently in the evening since it stays light so late? A little. I noticed it more this year, but I actually think what I noticed this year was that I just sleep less hours. So mm -hmm. I was averaging six to seven hours, where in the winter, I think I average eight to nine. Hmm. So it, and it's like a it little would, hibernation. Right. And I don't <laughs> mind waking up. I don't mind waking up, but I don't. Alaska summers are not my favorite because I, I, we need that darkness to wind Time down. Time doesn't mm -hmm. exist in Alaska. It's, no, it's, it's really <laughs> true. Yeah. So the winter's nice because it's, it's kind of wind down and I do feel as though I'm catching up right now. Granted, I just had a big retreat and have been sleep deprived for the last couple of weeks. But anyway, thank you all yeah. for sharing. All great question, Margaret. Yes. So Joe, we're going to hand the microphone, if you will, to you and let you share about Urban Hearts, this mission you have, um, so yeah, take it away. Okay. Tell, us, yeah. tell us a little bit about who you are too. Like yeah. Introduction. Um, well, uh, I am a lead with the most important things. So a uh, new husband and new father to a um, baby girl who's still in the womb, but coming soon to a theater near you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, she is going to make What that haven't you told her? <laughs> um, but uh, let's see. I'm a lifelong Alaskan. Um, I think the only one in this group and possibly the only one in existence from what I understand, uh, but born and raised in Alaska um, and loved it, have lived here my entire life. Um, I'm trying to think of what else, what else do I do that's interesting? Um, feels like that's about it. Um, You're a musician. Oh yeah, I'm a musician, um, which is actually kind of tangentially how uh, Urban Hearts got started for like three years. I uh, So I worked in youth ministry. And then I quit that job to finish my journalism degree. Um, and then right after I finished my journalism degree, I went to a local newspaper to like do a job interview. And I walked in and the guy told me, the first thing I'm going to say to you 
is dear God, please find any other profession. This is a dying industry and you're going to be miserable. And I was like, Oh no, (laughs) the last five years. (laughs) So then I didn't take that job and then spent the next four months trying to find a job, any job, any job at all. Uh, And the only one that I could think of was, okay, I'm going to go onto the corner of fourth Avenue and F street and play my guitar and hope that people give me money. Um, That's so, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so bold. I, <laughs> I went down and I busked every weekend for like a semester and just kind of uh, lived up doing that. And while doing that, um, there would be like tons of people living on the streets, tons of homeless people who'd be out and they would just kind of come and hang out with me and dance and sing and all sorts of stuff like that. And so that was a very, really random kind of uh segue into into the uh service of the poor hmm. um but uh yeah so that was that was awesome uh, but yeah play guitar love guitar um love ed sheeran um trying to think what else um yeah i'm the the mission director uh for for urban hearts missions because uh, when you start a nonprofit, you can call yourself whatever you want so. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but uh urban hearts is a uh, an apostolate here in anchorage um, that was started by me and my friend Jake Brownlee. Um, and basically, we both separately had uh, just an idea um, to start something that involved young adults in in getting out into the community and serving the poor as part of a Christian community um, and part of a community that um, was going to dive deep into the Catholic tradition of formation um, and study and prayer together. Um, and that's kind of how the idea was born. And we hashed it out over burgers one night and then accidentally started a nonprofit. So, um, <laughs> it's been going for just over, over three years now. We, we've got like 15 missionaries, young adult missionaries who go out onto the streets every week now. And the whole idea behind it, um, is, is, um, kind of the, the spiritual, um, acts of mercy. Um, and obviously we try to incorporate the corporal acts of mercy as well, but, um, the whole idea was like, especially through doing the guitar and the, the busking on the street. Um, I just would ask a lot of the, the people who were living out there, like, what's the hardest part of being homeless? And of course we're in Alaska and it's like February. So I'm expecting people to say mm. it's negative 20 degrees outside all and the I can't feel all my the fingers. Frost. Yep. Yeah, like I don't have a coat um, mm. or like, gee, getting access to food is hard. And I don't like diving through dumpsters to find a half eaten banana. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that was never what they said. They would always say the hardest part about being homeless was that nobody looked them in the eye. Um, nobody would shake their hand. Nobody knew their name. Mm. And so, um, that kind of became the focus of what we wanted to do. So we focused very much on, um, the spiritual acts of mercy, especially welcoming the stranger, um, and trying to build up a genuine relationship, um, with the people living on the streets. And, um, (laughs) And in the process, we also, you know, hand out food and clothes and hand warmers and cookies on birthdays and sure. all sorts of oh, stuff nice. like that. So um, <laughs> that's kind of a, an overview of, of what we do. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I can't wait to hear more. And I know you have a bunch of stories about, um, you know, your experience. But I remember you mentioning another organization that did something similar. I believe it was in Denver. So was that partly an inspiration or was this kind of a separate idea? And then you're like, Oh, I like what they do. Cause I know you kind of adapted it to be your own. Yeah, no, it's um, so the, the organization is called Christ in the city. 
Um, and I basically just tried to plagiarize everything they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. One of those situations where they're like, yes, please do what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I plagiarized what they're doing in, in uh, that we serve the poor in community and prayer. So I guess in that, in that line of thinking, I'm just plagiarizing what the church has always done. Yes. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a great organization in Denver called um, uh, Christ in the City. And uh, after after the stint of, um, of uh, realizing my journalism degree wasn't going to go where I thought it was going to go and um, having to have a Thanksgiving dinner where I told all my extended family that I was currently playing guitar on the street for money um, and realizing <laughs> that that didn't sound great or like I really yeah. had any direction or life plan. <laughs> and Margaret will... Uh, always bring this up. She's like, when I first met you, you were so lost and had no idea what you're doing. And it's true. And it's true. So I did what any lost young adult Catholic would do. And I was like, I'm going to apply for Focus. And I'm going to apply for any mission I can because I know that that's a good thing to do. And it is, to be clear, any young adults who are listening, apply for Focus. It's a great thing to do. See where it led. See where it led. But, um, so I applied for Christ in the City because my pastor told me about it, and he knew that I was kind of developing this love for serving the poor, and um, that's exactly what Christ in the City does with that same emphasis on building up friendships. And so I um, got through all the application process, and I was accepted, and I told uh, all my bosses at my work that I was going to be quitting in the summer to go do this, and I told my family and at the last minute, I was like, well, I guess I should go down there and visit and actually see what it's like. Mm-hmm. And so I flew down kind of as a formality to go meet the formators and meet the other missionaries. And it was incredible. Um, it's it's an awesome, blessed ministry. And it was like an amazing time. I, it, was, it was a short time. Like, I think I just spent like four or five days down there. But like everything they would do with the poor was beautiful. Their community was beautiful. It was daily mass and adoration together and um, like free courses through the Augustine Institute oh, wow. and like your, your own personal formation. And I was like, man, I would absolutely love this. Why is God absolutely screaming at me to not do this right mm-hmm. now? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, in my prayer life have had very few times in my life where I was really sure of what God sure. was telling me to do. Sure. Um, no, no mystical experiences or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, so there's only been like, two times in my life where I ever like very clearly knew he was telling me, telling me something. Mm. And this was one of them. And I was just on the plane back and I was just racking my brain. Well, first of all, I was going like, I quit my job. Oh, uh, <laughs> I can get that back. <laughs> um, and I did, but um, it was, yeah, flying back just suddenly so sure that I wasn't supposed mm. to do this and so unsure of why, um, and the entire way back, I, I just kept thinking, okay, God is not calling me to this ministry for whatever reason, but that doesn't really get me off the hook for serving the poor. So there must be something he wants mm-hmm. me to do with that in Alaska. And, um, so then I came back and found, uh, my, my good friend Jake, and we just sat down and kind of hashed out a rough idea of what it might look like. And, um, I started drawing down logos and website designs and pretty soon we had something set up and uh awesome. then a bunch of young adults came out of the woodwork and said that they would be super interested in, in doing something like that so mm-hmm. um yeah we got we got uh, started up and um and it was just very much hearing like the that quote from um 
St. Mother Teresa that we've all heard of, of find your own Calcutta. That was like, mm. we, we have the poor here just yeah. as much as they are in Denver or they are in Calcutta. And, um, just, yeah, we were both very passionate about wanting to serve our local church that this is where God has placed us. So let's just be faithful to that. And, um, yeah. And that's kind of how, how urban hearts was born. It's really so, incredible. Wow. Really incredible. But mm-hmm. it's been really cool the past three years just to, you know, hear about it for the first time and now just see it. It's like blooming organization and just, you know, something that's mm-hmm. obviously going to continue growing for a long time. So. Yeah. I and I mean, like started at my parish <laughs> <laughs> and that what two missionaries now have like come from out of state to be urban hearts missionaries. Yeah. Right? That's wild. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we've got a couple uh, missionaries hear about it and fly up to, to live in Alaska for a few months to come serve the poor, which is, is crazy that they heard about it. I'm still unclear how some of them, <laughs> how one of them did, but well, so God if, you're, if you're listening and you live very far from Alaska, that doesn't mean you can't be a part of this. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. I'm sure that, You've seen a lot, you know, it's been three years, you're going on the street. So mm-hmm. I, I joke, they go out in teams every Saturday, right? Yep. For two, three hours. And maybe you can tell us more about the kind of the general formation after. Um, but we'd love to hear some stories about what kind of some miracles or some some encounters you've had that have changed your heart and the hearts of other other Urban Hearts missionaries. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've definitely seen um, a couple like um, just, yeah, real strong miraculous things that God has done, like in the lives of, we call them our friends on the streets, um, um, our, our homeless friends living out there. But I always like to tell people that like, really the first miraculous thing that God does is he changes you. Um, Um, so through like, through serving the poor, I think a lot of times, like this was definitely the case with myself. Um, and it, it happens with a lot of our missionaries too. Um, and I think it's just natural, especially the first time you're going out is you have almost a kind of a messiah complex to yourself that's like <laughs> look at me i'm being such a good catholic oh, i'm going out onto the streets to serve the poor and i'm gonna i'm gonna tell them about jesus and like gosh he must be just proud of me right now and he must just be <laughs> super thrilled and he is he's thrilled uh, <laughs> no i don't want to take it take that away but um it's it's almost a subtle way that i think the devil wants to work in pride into mm-hmm. what good works you're about to actually try to go do out of humility to Christ. And so the first thing that Jesus usually does in my experience is slap you across the face with humility. (laughs) Um, And so one of the first just encounters that I had was um, with this woman named Mary, of course. And um, (laughs) I would go downtown uh, because I just turned 21 and all my friends wanted to go to do the bar hopping thing. And I uh, hate the taste of beer. And so would never go inside because I like Mike's hard lemonade. Uh, <laughs> and you might be drunk. I like beer now. I like beer now. I have a beard for anybody who thinks I have a beard and I wear flannels. He drinks whiskey. Yes, exactly. Whiskey neat. I am a father. Um, but, uh, at the time, I really liked Mike's Hard Lemonade and nothing else. So my friends would go into the bar and I would see her um, every single weekend just hanging out outside of the bar. Um, and she was never asking for money. She was never... Um, mm. Um, like harassing anybody, which is kind of, I think the stereotypical things people think about. Mm-hmm. Um, she would just sit there quietly and she had her little hat on and she would just, uh, tell people, God bless you and have a good night. And, uh, so I started just, uh, my friends would go into the bar and I would just kind of go out and sit down with her and, um, and chat with her. 
Um, which sounds like a really lovely thing for me to do, except that in my heart, I was like, man, what a good Christian I'm being right now, <laughs> uh, but didn't really realize it. Um, and so I built up just a really sweet friendship with this woman. And uh, every single week when my friends would come out and it's time to leave, um, I would uh, ask her if she wanted to pray and I would pray over her. And uh, one week after a few months of this, I... Uh, sat down, we chatted for an hour, hour and a half. My friends came out and I was going to leave. And I was like, hey, do you, uh, do you want me to pray over you? And she said, actually, do you, do you mind if I pray over you? Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's allowed. And uh, <laughs> so she prayed over me and it instantly became clear. I was like, oh, you know Jesus a lot better than I do. Oh, oh wow. dang it. <laughs> and so wow. that was, um, yeah, just a, a beautiful moment of like, having the Lord humble me a little bit. And, and a lot of our missionaries kind of go through an experience like that. Um, another time was um, just kind of realizing how, how truly rough um, service to the poor can be like, especially on the streets and, um, and what life on the streets is like. Um, because it's there, there's almost, and it sounds weird, but there's almost a romanticized version in at least in my head and a lot of our missionaries heads before going out, mm -hmm. like a romanticized version of serving the poor. And, okay. um, and it's ugly. Like a lot of the time it's really, really ugly. And, um, and in a lot of ways gross. Um, and I, I don't say that to dehumanize our friends out there, but there's just terrible things that happen. And, and like one of the things that comes to mind is, um, and this is another experience of just, how God uses service to the poor to, to humble you. Yeah. Um, my street team was out there um, and there was our friend, uh, John, John, um, who's an awesome guy and we, we love him a ton and he recently got housing, which is great. <laughs> um, but he had like just a terrible case of frostbite and it was Alaska in January, February, March. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, negative cold snaps of negative 10, negative 20 degrees for weeks in a row. And, um, he did not trust doctors. Um, he was scared of hospitals, all those kinds of things. So he, he wouldn't go to the hospital. And um, every week we would come out and just kind of take a look at his foot and do just very basic medical care, like because we're not trained medical mm -hmm. experts, but we can, you know, replace bandages and put on ointment and that kind of stuff. And every week it was like you would you would peel off these socks that had crusted oh. to his leg because his wounds are pussy and it's freezing outside. Mm -hmm. So they would freeze to his legs and you're, you're peeling them off to wash them mm -hmm. and to kind of wash out a lot of that stuff. And then like there's, there's parts of dead flesh right. falling off and it's, and it smells bad. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it, there's mm -hmm. a stench because it's decaying flesh right. and he's, wincing in horrible pain uh, every mm -hmm. time you, like you're trying to spread disinfectant ointment mm -hmm. on it and all these things and you're real like in those moments we're all kind of going through this this realization of like it makes you feel really good to go out and to hand somebody a sandwich and pray with somebody mm -hmm. it does not make you feel good and like at all mm -hmm. to be doing something like that you feel like and, and, and it makes you feel really bad in a lot of ways because you're like oh i'm really not as holy as I thought I was, but um, there's this just like truly terrible thing in front of you and you can't fix it. And it's, it's 
in a lot of ways repulsive to you, but at the same time, there's a beloved son of God mm -hmm. right there that this thing is happening to. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're washing, you know, literally washing his feet. And of course, as well-formed Catholics, we all instantly have Jesus washing our feet. And just thinking about, oh, maybe Jesus washing our feet is not as nice as, as I think it is. Maybe it's not as clean as I think it is. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is in a lot of ways repulsive and, and terrible. And then thinking through my spiritual reality is reflected very powerfully in the physical reality that this guy is going through right now, that I am like out in the cold with no help mm -hmm. except Jesus. And that I am my, like the wounds of my sin have gone deep and festered mm -hmm. and there is just darkness and, and grossness surrounding it. Mm -hmm. And like, thank God that he comes down to, to clean it with, his humility. Mm -hmm. And um, so experiences of, like of things like that just really humble you and, and start to change mm -hmm. your relationship with serving the poor. And because um, a lot of times people will say things like, oh, you're enabling people or you're like, um, you're not really helping them in the long run and those kinds of things. And it's, there's a whole spiritual reality behind service to the poor right. that is, that is not on the surface that, um, that I think it's, it's the first things that come up when you're doing it because he he wants to make you a saint. So he's going to change you before you change others. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, those are two things that just kind of come to mind off the bat as far as like how our missionaries change as a result of of going out into the streets. I feel like Mother oh. Teresa is in heaven cheering you on with her little Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I hope her patronesses. So. <laughs> You know, Joe, um, I used to be really terrified of the homeless. And it's kind of weird. You know, it's, I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to do something wrong. I didn't want to hurt them or, you know, I don't want to ignore them, but I don't want to roll down my window and be like, I don't have anything for you. Um, and a few years ago, a gentleman I was dating invited me to go do some ministry can't think what it's called right now, but it was out in the valley where people came to this place and they were provided showers and haircuts and clothing and all these things. And I really didn't know what I was stepping into. And he, you know, I said, what help do you need? And they're like, we need an intake coordinator or person. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. But basically what it was, was people were let in and I needed to ask their name, if they had a home, if they like all these really difficult questions. And I was super intimidated, but the first woman who came was a grandma who had, I think, nine people living in a two-bedroom apartment or something. And she was the most gracious, kind woman. And at the end, I was like, man, I really want to pray with her. And I just did it. I said, can I pray with you? And she said, yes, honey, yes. I used to be a pastor. And so I started praying and she's saying, amen, amen, amen. And I asked every person, can I pray with you? And no one said no. And I tried to call them by their name and I touched a man who probably hadn't showered in a year, like so dirty. And you know what? He, he came, a lot of those people came not for themselves. They came for their friends. I'm here yeah. to get closer to my friend. I'm here to do this for my friend. Maybe they get to eat a hot meal, but I, it changed me a hundred percent. And I, when I see homeless people now, I at least ask their name and if I can pray for them. And honestly, part of that is your ministry because I see what you do. And I heard, you know, I lived with someone last year who had done urban hearts and she said, you know, just asking their name can be so transformative, but it transformed me in a big way. And so I can a little bit relate to that. You know, I'm not on the streets with you every weekend, but um, I, 
I wanted to cry at their reception and their kindness and, and just the beauty of their humanity really is what we were acknowledging in that time. And it was just, yeah, it was transformative and I'm never going to forget it. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, I mean, one of the first things we learned on the streets, uh, cause like most of us had never done it before and we all had some fear of what we're about to get into. Right. Um, and one of the first things we realized was that generosity um, that exists in, in that community. And we would go out and um, there was a, I wasn't on the team, but there was one of our teams in downtown. Um, a guy came up for them or up to them and um, got a sandwich and um, a drink and, and walked away, said, you know, we'll see you later. He walked away and like five minutes later, he was back and asked for another sandwich, another drink. And they're like, oh yeah, sure. And he walked away and came back. And that happened a few times. And finally they're like, are you eating all these sandwiches? Like, what's going on? Are you just super hungry? And he was like, oh no, like I have, there's there's people down there who can't walk and mm -hmm. I'm just kind of getting stuff down to them. And he's just ferrying food all around downtown. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so wow. that that experience rings true for a ton of a ton of our people who, who get involved. Thank you for listening to part one of this episode. We look forward to sharing part two with you next Wednesday. Thank you for listening to the Moving Mountains podcast. If you have a miracle story to tell, please call our hotline at 412-449-9609. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Moving Mountains Podcast AK. We encourage you to subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and share our podcast with others. We'll see you next time.